Hi everyone and welcome to the New Covenant commentary of the lesson this week. I love the story this week that the lesson uses to draw our attention to the similarities of the Old and New Covenant. The business executive standing in the office before all others, holding a box of detergent in his hand and showing everyone as he proudly points to the word new that was displayed in large red letters, indicating that the product is, in fact, new. But all that's really new on the box is the word that grabs people's attention. Nothing has really changed. It simply just appears that way. This is a common tactic that is used in the world today of consumerism, where products remain the same, but the packaging is different. You look at it, you go, oh, it's new, I must try that. The basis of the covenant and the basic hope that it has for us, its basic conditions are the same as what we found in the old covenant. But because that has always been a covenant of God's grace and mercy, a covenant that is based on love, the new covenant is not just new to get our attention, but it is a better covenant, which is established on better promises, Hebrews 8.6. Because if the first covenant had been faultless, then there would have been no place for a second, Hebrews 8.7, to paraphrase in a sense. In Jeremiah 31.31, which is our memory text, it says, Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. On Sunday, we look at Jeremiah 31 to 34. Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel, with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with the fathers in the day that I took them by the hand and led them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant, which they broke, Though I was a husband to them, says the Lord, but this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. No more shall every man teach his neighbor, and every man's brother say, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, for the least of them to the greatest of them, says the Lord. For I will forgive the iniquity and their sin. I'll remember no more. The first thing that God says after behold the days are coming is, I will make. This is what God always does. God always takes the first step. It is always God's initiative. God always comes to us. When Jesus approached the disciples the very first one are casting out their nets. He says, come, follow me, and I will make. Jeremiah 31.3 says, yes, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, with loving kindness, I have drawn you. God is drawing us in always. God is always taking the first step. God then goes on to say that he will put the law in our minds and write it on our hearts. God is doing this. God is taking the initiative, ingraining the moral law into our very being. Verse 33 and 34 stressing the relational aspect that God wants with his people. God is telling us that he will be completely 100% faithful to us at any cost to himself. 
The Christian church becomes the inheritor of the spiritual privileges and responsibilities that once belonged to literal Israel. At Mount Sinai, God wrote his law on the tables of stone and in a book. These laws were intended to be written on the hearts of the people, but the Israelites were content to regard these simply as an external code and their observance as a matter of outward compliance. God offered his people the experience of a new heart, but they were content with only the external religion. We need this not to be the danger to us. Under the new covenant, our hearts and our minds are changed, must be changed. We do right because, and not of our own strength, but because Christ dwells in the heart, living out his life in us. We are born of the Spirit and bear fruits of the Spirit. This change can only be effective by divine power. Only can God put his law in our heart and only if we consent with full cooperation because God's government is based upon free will. Which brings us to Monday, the heart work. Hosea 2, 18 to 20. In that day, I will make a covenant for them with the beasts of the field, with the birds of the air, and with the creeping things of the ground, bow and sword of battle, I will shatter from the earth to make them lie down safely. I will betroth you to me forever. Yes, I will betroth you to me in righteousness and justice, in loving kindness and mercy. I will betroth you to me in faithfulness, and you shall know the Lord. God says that he will betroth us to him forever. The previous marriage had ended in disaster. Israel had played the harlot and God had disowned her. But he was willing to take back his unfaithful spouse and restore her to the former start. It was hoped that the unsatisfying experience of her former waywardness would help. The preeminence of the new contract, God was willing to do his part as far as he was concerned. The new union was to be continued forever if the plan was to succeed or not. That depended on Israel, the new mechanics of the Lord's worship and sacrifice, the feast days and the other ceremonies, but they did not know the service. They did not know the worship service of God, but they did not know God and the worship services that they partook in were vain. Unless we know God and whom we worship and serve, we must know the God that we worship and serve. God still proclaims his willingness to enter the covenant relationship with all who are willing to repent and obey and to claim his promises. When we go through the three texts in Ezekiel eleven nineteen and 18 to 31 and 26, 26, they all say the same thing. New heart, new spirit. New heart, new spirit. New heart, new spirit. If we want this new heart and new spirit, we need Jesus in our lives. To do this work, and not just to know of Jesus, but to truly know him on a deep, relational level. Psalms 51.10 says, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. The new covenant was not just made for the house of Israel. It was for all Jews and Gentiles. 
They were invited to partake of the promises, but they had to agree to enter into the covenant, and it is no different today. The lesson book puts it beautifully when it says, There is really no difference between the basic elements that make up the old and new covenant. It is the same God who offers salvation, the same way, by grace. It is the same God who seeks a people who by faith will claim his promises and forgiveness. It is the same God who seeks to write the law in the hearts of those who will follow him in a faith of relationship. Whether they be Jew or Gentile, Hebrews 13, 8 says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today and forever. But now he has obtained a more excellent ministry inasmuch as he is also mediator of the better covenant, which was established on better promises. Hebrews 8, 6. There was not a problem with the covenant itself, but in the old covenant, the people failed to grasp it in faith. The answer for the reason of the new covenant being better lies within the text itself. It is established on better promises. Jesus, instead of being revealed through animal sacrifice, now appears in reality of his death and high priestly ministry. The new covenant is the more complete revelation of God and the love that he has for fallen humanity. Instead of symbols and types, we have Jesus himself who sinless life, death and high priestly ministry are fulfilled. Jesus himself is not just a lamb who shed his blood, but is also the one who stands as a high priest in the heavenly sanctuary, ministering on our behalf. Which brings us to Thursday, the new covenant priest. The Old Testament sanctuary service was a means by which the old covenant truths were taught. It centered on the sacrifice and mediation of the animals were slain and their blood was mediated by the priests. These, of course, were all the symbols of salvation found only in Jesus. All these sacrifices and priestly mediation that accompanied them met their fulfillment in Christ. Jesus became the sacrifice upon which the blood of the new covenant is based. Once Christ died, there was no need for any animal to be slain. Jesus' offering did not have a temporary efficiency as had the offering of the earthly high priest. It was once and for all. Christ put away sin. He came to save his people, you and me, from our sins. Jesus was the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. John 1.29 The book of Hebrews stresses that Christ is our high priest in heaven that has shed his own blood mediating on our behalf. The King of the universe coming to this world, dying for you and for me, shedding his blood and then mediating on your behalf, on my behalf. This is not only the foundation of the hope and the promise that we have within the new covenant. This is also the best, the newest, the freshest news you can ever receive. May our faith transform into obedience to the law that is written on our hearts as we look to Jesus in all that we do. Heavenly Father, we just want to thank you for the merciful, long-suffering, kind and gracious God that you are. Father, you are holy, righteous, 
and true. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you that he came to this world, that he took upon sin so that we could be set free. We thank you for Jesus, our high priest. We long to, to go home. Lord, I pray that as the, the law is written on our, our hearts and put into our minds, that, Father, we will fully trust on you and the law will become a full reality in each one of our lives, that we will hold to Jesus and never let go. Father, may you be with each and every person. May you continue to bless us in the way that we do and help us to be a blessing to others, we pray. In Jesus' most precious name, we thank you for the new covenant. We thank you for Jesus. And we pray these things to you in his most precious name. Amen.